0: It's the Mentor Health Podcast. Welcome back. It has been a minute for sure. We are back with two very special episodes. During the pandemic, we got to record a number of kind of interviews of really great mental health advocates who are working with great organisations, and we've never got to actually put them on air. So here they are for you, the lost episodes from Mentor Health. This week's episode, I got to sit down with an amazing guy called Chris Grant, who works for Parkour UK. He is a huge mental health advocate, and we actually got to work together in the past doing mental health stigma campaigning and work around mental health stigma in Scotland. He's an absolutely terrific guy and somebody I'm very proud to call a friend. We got to sit down, talk all things kind of covid and how it was affecting our mental health, but more importantly, talk about the amazing work that he is doing doing with Parkour UK and then really kind of addressing just how maybe doing something like parkour could really help our well-being, and definitely helps communities as well. I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation. So here it is for you after all this time, uh, the lost episode with Chris Grant from Parkour UK. Enjoy. Uh, Chris, oh, it's so good to be having a chat with you today. Thank you for coming on to the Mentalk Health podcast. Um, I guess firstly to say... How have you been? How's your mental health?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. I know this is something we've talked about for a little while. So, yeah, I'm good. I think uh, the last year's obviously been a challenge for everyone. I have to say I feel like I'm in one of these nice privileged pandemic positions where, yeah, I've been at home with my wife. We've got, you know, a decent amount of space and all that. Um, Had a few challenges with my mental health last year, but it's been really nice to sort of just slowly creep back up and, and sort of, Getting out of the pandemics helped was back to the gym on Monday, which was terrifying, painful, and brilliant at the same time. So yes, I'm well. Oh, that's
0: that's always good to hear. Um I, yeah, because I think you're right, this has just been the the strangest year for everyone. Yeah. And um I think everyone's situations have been completely different. Yeah. But, you know, I like that you see yourself as like, you know, a privileged pandemic. But you know, I'm sure it's <laughs> had its own Its own kind of uh, ups and downs as well. Yeah,
1: it's relative, right? Isn't it? And I think that it's interesting that that thing that people do when they sort of try and help you, where they go, well, someone else has got it worse. I feel like that during the pandemic has really heightened because it is, from a material perspective, it is true, definitely. But I think that I've found that that sort of slightly unhelpful thing has crept back quite a lot because we're all sharing this huge, big, like weird experience in the world and you can turn on the news and think "Ah, it's worse over there but that sort of trite advice is still a little bit creepy.
0: So what type of things did help you during the COVID lockdown?
1: Being outside I think was massive. Um, I spend a lot of time outside anyway but I think when that sort of becomes the only real piece of access that you have, I think it, you start to sort of have a bit more gratitude for it, and also maybe make a bit more of an effort to to get out. um You know, I've got good company in my house my wife and my dog. And and the great thing about having the dog is that you've got to go outside even when it's raining or wet or whatever. um The winter was definitely harder for that. I think the um getting outside every day was useful, but then having to do it in the dark a lot sort of almost just negates that experience a little bit. So. That's been useful, um, you know, doing outside activities like cycling within the boundaries of our local authority until last week, um, doing parkour, obviously, which we're going to talk about later. um, And that's kind of getting on with it a little bit as well, like trying to, you know, I've been working the whole time, which is, again, I feel quite lucky with, but I think still having a bit of the routines that maybe you don't think are important, but happen every day, like we try still to roughly get up at the same time. I do dress myself for work. <laughs> Because I didn't for a while, and I noticed that, that you just the whole experience of being in front of a laptop or speaking to people is a little bit different in your pajamas. It's kind of funny, but actually, for me, that there's almost a body language of clothing, isn't there? So that really helped, I think, in just having a bit of that maybe what you would call normality.
0: Yeah, I I think that's really tricky. Like I know for me, because obviously I was I was on my own for lockdown, and um, I. Like the beginning of it, the first bit, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with. And it was this weird thing of loving the fact that everything was gone in terms of contacts. I I think I felt chilled for the first time ever because I didn't have all the anxieties of everything I had to do. But then I was just like, yeah, like I've been showering a lot less (laughs) and you know, you saw, you saw how crazy my hair got. I just gave up on it. I was like, yes. Yeah. and it is—it's really important, I think, to kind of have that. And it's only been, uh, I think, this time round that I've um, that I've been a lot more kind of like, no, get up at a decent time, and and kind of just keep that routine going. And I, th- I think it's had a—I think it's had a great help for me. Yeah, um,
1: I think almost there's something in that as well about you can now distinguish which parts of that routine are actually for you and which parts are for other people, right? Because I don't need to wear a suit to work, but actually I quite like putting on a nice polo shirt or a shirt. And I know now that that's nothing to do with what happens at the other end in the office. It's actually about me going, I'm at work now and I feel like I'm doing something and it gives you the direction. So that's been cool. I mean, and it's definitely a fine line for every person, isn't it? Because some people are quite happy in their jammies now. And the flip side of that is it's quite nice to be accepting of that on calls that you get a bit more into people's personal lives. So do you think...
0: I mean, one thing that's kind of come from the lockdown is that I feel like I know myself a lot more. And I don't mean in terms of, you know, higher energy or or anything like that. I mean, like, I've really had the time to work out what works for me. So, like, in some ways, it's um, I don't like, you know, I've I've learned that I don't like authority. It sounds really weird, but like, I like at the moment, I get to work for myself and I'm really enjoying that. And I'm recognizing how much I love working with people. I don't like, I, I don't do well, you know, working for someone else as much. Uh, likewise, I know that my working day, I'd much rather get up at six and work till two. Like as soon yeah. as it gets to like 2.30, I just, I just realize I'll sit at my computer, but I won't do anything. And I've learned all these really great things that kind of add to my mental health. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I would have had the chance to have noticed that or learned that if we hadn't have had the, if we hadn't have had the lockdown.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think the the space has definitely given everyone a different perspective, right? So um, I I think a lot of what you said there is right. It, just before lockdown, I was actually off work. So I was starting to have a bit of that, like completely managing my own routine, which I hadn't, you never do when you work, right? So I was kind of on that journey and then the pandemic happened and it kind of forced it, which was quite interesting. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that... Um, yeah just having room and and almost because you don't have other things to do and everyone was talking about coping mechanisms for lockdown actually there was loads of dialogue and reflection about oh i've just noticed that like you said when i finish it too, i have a better day and it's almost like there was space and permission for those conversations bec- framed by the pandemic right that i could sit down with my wife and be like what were the best parts of today for the two of us When And we work in the same office and I have a really loud voice, which has been uh, something we've solved. But those little things, actually, because constantly you're bombarded with this thing of everyone in the world is at home, what are the solutions? It's almost opened up a lot of license to be able to say, do you know what, like I'm better finishing it too, or I get a bit anxious before I go to bed or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see how much the culture of that conversation around flexibility continues, because it might... I understand that offices will go back and stuff. That's cool. Everyone has a different position, but if it's opened up the dialogue for people around being like, actually I need my own permission and authority to decide a bit more about what I'm doing.
0: That's a bonus. Absolutely. I keep thinking about, I think I've had at least four or five people in Zooms be like, if you don't mind, I'm just going to lie down during this call. <laughs> and that's amazing. Like, you know, cause I have a bad yeah. back and I've stood up and I've sat down, but actually now I'm just going to lie on the floor Yeah. and I'm like, Yes, do it's it. Yeah. And I, I do hope that's kind of kept on yeah. as, we go, as we go along. But yeah. it'll be interesting to see, you know, people's memories can be short, all this stuff we've learned. Yeah. But hopefully hopefully it will be.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be a mix. It's, hard, it's So in terms of the work environment, I think it's really hard to tell. I mean, there are clearly lots of people who have just drawn the line and said, I've never gone back. I mean, I, the number of people that I know who are of the right age, who've just advanced their retirement, for example, um, or, you know, my wife had a fantastic job, which she absolutely loved, but over the lockdown was just working on other stuff and kind of realised that maybe actually our direction was going to change, and she's now done that. I think there's a lot of people like that who've used it as a culture shift for themselves, and that can't go back. It'll be interesting to see how the sort of more generic nine-to-five population with it because people are definitely starting to get the emails now saying we're discussing going back and for some people that's great right but yeah will it all be forgotten
0: I don't know well um speaking about work I mean why don't you tell us a little bit about what you what you do yeah because we probably should have done that at the beginning no not at all
1: (laughs) anytime so I am the development manager for parkour UK so parkour UK is the national governing body for parkour yes we have that and it's it's an officially recognized sport um, I've been doing parkour for sixteen or seventeen years. So quite early on, sort of in the birth of parkour in the UK, I guess I ran a coaching company for a number of years. Went off and did some other stuff in mental health and community development, and then this job kind of landed. And essentially, they're sort of the first paid parkour office jobs, which is sort of seems like a, a sort of antithetic. Or a paradox job. I mean,
0: I want yeah. to imagine that when you all get to be in a building again, like you guys will parkour into work oh, on yeah. your commute. So yeah. yeah. I mean, I want you to have briefcases, stereotype. but like yeah. literally jumping over yeah. um, every bit you can. Yeah, in we, are, we are happy playground. to fill
1: all of those images. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And it's it's just, it's, so my job day to day is that, you know, Parker UK operates as a national governing body a little bit like other sports and a little bit not like other sports, But essentially, during the day, what I do is we're looking at developing and amplifying the sport, uh, supporting a lot of our members. So, like, the people that have probably more, like, genetic structure, like the people that own gyms and that coach and stuff, we try and look after them, do qualifications with them, help them sort of advance what they're doing. Um, But, I mean, essentially, you know... I've got a pretty cushy job in that I've been in this community for 16 years and essentially I'm paid to look after all my mates and keep driving it but not as an athlete now because that just wasn't the right position for me so it's super exciting and just so new I I definitely fill that space of new stuff very well I think that's where my head is so yeah I mean super exciting.
0: I'm gonna ask the obvious question but for those who may not know, what is parkour? Yeah.
1: So parkour, which is also called free running, which is quite often how people know it is. So it's a sport, which is based around the idea of sort of uh, using movement to interact with environments. What what you will have seen on it, and I guess the sort of generic way of thinking about it is it's people moving across space. So you quite often see videos on YouTube of people like jumping over walls, moving across the city. There is, of course, that sort of extreme end of it of people doing like roof gaps, et cetera, um, But essentially, it's a physical practice that that sort of ends up becoming a lifestyle. So one of the really astute observations that our CEO made, because he's not a parkour guy, was that people say that they do parkour when you ask them what they're up to, right? Whereas if you play football on a Friday night at five o'clock, you don't then say to people, I'm a footballer. right and I think that's a really interesting distinction about the way that some sports like parkour in particular they become a lifestyle and a community that you're part of and not just like I go to a class on a Friday night for two hours I do that thing and then I leave um so you know it's it's a sort of all-around discipline like that it's probably a little bit like gymnastics martial arts if you were to watch it and the crucial bit for me is you can kind of do it anywhere and it doesn't cost anything
0: so it's actually kind of something that is you know accessible Absolutely, which is really yeah. important. I mean,
1: I think there's work to do there, um, but it's accessible certainly in the sense of there's no sort of financial barriers or anything like that. You know, with any community that's quite new, it, the the quality and the diversity of it is growing quite well, but slowly. And I think you know, Parker UK have got a good job to do to try and drive that.
0: And so, Parker UK is is new. It's is it? I mean, has it has it? Obviously, parkour has been around a long time, but it sounds like Parker UK is a a. a playing a different role in growing that is that yeah, right? yeah
1: it's almost a second wave right so Parker uk as a body the, the aspiration to have a sort of ngb and all that sort of legitimate recognition has been around for a long time so the previous ceo and some of the board in the past i think from around 2012 i'll probably get my date wrong, but it's fine um started Parker uk and basically spent five years trying to do paperwork to build the qualifications, get the sport recognised, et cetera. And that happened in 2017. Um, and then there was sort of a period of harassing Sport England and some of the other bodies to say, we're a recognised sport now, which kind of means we're mandated to get some money. Where does that come from? And so last year, about a year ago now, Sport England gave us some money for salaries. So it's it's went from being something that existed as an entity with some effort behind it into something that's got... Paid staff that can drive it. So, I guess where we're at now is not starting again, but almost like a second wave of we've now got paid staff. We've got time, enthusiasm that particularly in the past the time just wasn't there. So, yeah, we're just in a position to kind of talk about it loads, and it's very exciting.
0: I mean, I think I think it's great, and um, you know, obviously I, I I've known you for a while now, and I always love kind of hearing about what you've done with it. Like I know you've kind of gone out to. Jamaica and and, and done kind of used it for community growth and for helping people. And I think that's why I really wanted you to kind of come onto the podcast because all of that stuff feeds directly into mental health. Absolutely. I mean, we talk a lot about the five ways of well being, and I kind of feel like there's a lot that can maybe be considered in parkour. So the five ways uh, for those of you who listen to the show will know are being active, connecting with each other, with others, uh, giving uh, learning and being in the moment, that kind of mindfulness yeah. element. I, and I've always kind of thought that parkour must kind of, obviously kind of feeds that active thing, but also it's um, it gives you that connection to others, which is really great.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's the obvious ones, like that you are physically active and you're learning something new. I think that parkour and other lifestyle sports, actually like skateboarding as well, but parkour in particular, you're definitely people are very quickly embedded within a community. So that sort of being part of something and that purpose, I think it just happens overnight, right? And to be honest, even when you find parkour, you've already started connecting with the community and watching videos and asking questions. Um And I think the giving to others, we, we're a real sort of altruistic community in lots of ways. I think the way that people learn the practice is quite giving. There's a lot of sharing. You don't need to go to a class. You can, but you don't have to you know, the, the community is very willing to grow by just giving and sharing. And I think that's a two-way process. That, so I've got no doubt that I I feel like I, I am much more generous, generally speaking, in my life now because of the benefits of sharing parkour without a shadow of a doubt. And obviously I've done that in a very structured way as a coach, but also just the way that you, you turn up to meet people at a parkour jam, which is just a sort of loose meetup for people to train. It's sort of implicit that um Sharing ideas and advice is is okay within reason. That's amazing. You know, amazing. Not, no one wants unsolicited advice, of course, but there's a sort of unwritten rule of this idea of sharing, and people kind of learn where it's appropriate. And then I think that final one about being in the moment. Um, you know, Parker uh, is asks a lot of challenge of people, right? And you no matter what level you're at you will do things that scare you right which is different from doing something that's dangerous there's a perception of danger but when you when you do that a lot you sort of get into that flow state and you learn to switch it on and off which is quite a challenging thing to do so uh, meditation would be the wrong word but it definitely has it mirrors a lot of what mindfulness is doing but it's a very visceral strong presence rather than a sort of maybe a quiet still presence i think And you, you know, from your first day, if I took you out to do parkour tomorrow, jumping down from a one foot wall might be scary for you. Great, because then it's something that actually it's fairly safe, but your perception of it forces you to focus. And then you get really used to that feeling of that tunnel vision and focus. And over time, when you practice, especially if you practice very deliberately, you can turn it on and off. And I think that for your mental health is is hugely valuable you can recognize some fear triggers that you have. You can recognize when to sort of be focused on one thing at a time. You know what real attention feels like. So those that's, things are all great.
0: That's really, I mean, I hadn't considered that, that mindfulness element to it, yeah. but you're right. It's that focusing on something else. And obviously there's that element of, you know, you can't, you don't want to, uh, me being very simplistic and not knowing, you know, not having done it. But I guess the idea of, right, I'm going to jump over that wall well, I can't be thinking about 10 other things because I need to focus on that wall yeah. uh, and make sure that like, my hand's in the right position, I, I, I'm, I'm making the right steps, I'm going to get the right height. And all that stuff is a really great way of focusing your mind on something different.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. But what you've also described there is the method of getting to that point, right? which mm-hmm. is you started working out all the steps. So that this thing about approaching any problem with a really incremental, slow, methodical approach, it, that's useful for anything right like you know whether that's your mental health or going to work in the morning or writing an essay whatever it is like getting used to that process of going right I'm going to try and do this thing but I need to work out what all the steps are that so that when I do it I actually do it right and I think it's it almost stops procrastination in a lot of ways I think that's maybe another way to think about it but that whole process physicality is nothing to do with that physicality is just the kind of vessel of how you experience it right and I think that That's why when people practice parkour, they say that they'll do it forever. Like I I would say physically, in, in terms of the amount that I practice now, I've probably peaked. Not to do with age, but just because I've got other things in my life now. But I still think that my approach to everything has that built into it. And I recognize that all the time. And I think that's where sports like parkour really have an impact on mental health, because it's given you a methodology to deal with stuff. You know it is as simple and as complex as that, and yeah. whether you do that as a pro athlete or you do that as someone who goes to a class twenty times, and then suddenly you can think back about. Remember when I did that scary jump? What did I do to get there? That mindset has nothing to do with the actual jump. You know, that's, it's deep, Davy. It's deep. That's,
0: yeah. yeah, that's that yeah. is brilliant. Um, I I guess then for anyone, actually, no, I I have I have a whole bunch of questions. Yeah, go um, go. Like with um we're speaking about that, that community element. I mean, do parkour people then, you know, again, my naivety speaking to say, you know, there's an area in Manchester where there's a really good group of people like doing parkour, um, maybe without a structure, uh, a formal structure, you know, does that then create a group of people who also do other things for the community? Does, The physical act of parkour Is that the end of it Or does it kind of feed into other aspects Can people Do you see community work happening by parkour groups
1: Yeah 100% I mean like like any sport that happens outside There can also be conflict with security And I think But generally I would say The behaviour in the parkour community Is very much what you've just described Like we We want to use public spaces really well And you don't do that By getting kicked off every week And being really rude You do it by building relationships with communities And I think you see that And, And the other thing is that quite often the spaces that we use are only beautiful to us, right? So, you know, the, you know, the generic vision you might have of parkour in a dingy housing estate in London, well, that's totally true. And, and on a lot of those types of places, the relationship with the local community is on the whole pretty positive, and that's something that we drive. So you might find that more people start to participate in parkour that that live in the area i mean anecdotally i've seen that and i could describe four or five places in glasgow where we know that's happened but also you might start you know using the local shops meeting people in areas where you don't live which is a really positive experience for the community and for you to be you know some of the areas that i train in are definitely populated by people that i wouldn't meet in my normal day-to-day life so i think that happens a few times a year, a lot of parkour groups do sort of these like leave no trace initiatives where they actually go and clear and clean community spaces as well.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, with any sport, it's not everyone. Of course, if you want to go and find a video of a parkour guy arguing with a security guard, you'll still find it. But for me, my reading of some of the other lifestyle sports, and certainly when I used to rollerblade, is like being cheeky and having that conflict is almost part of it. And I think parkour feels like it wants to be the opposite of that. So that's really nice, you know, and and what it also does is it engages with a wider audience of people. So a fifty-year-old or maybe someone from a a different background or or a uh, like a minority background can see it, and because of the openness of the community, they might access it, which is great. Uh,
0: I I think that's I think that's all really brilliant. I mean, I guess um, one thing to to consider as well is you know if people want to get involved in in, in parkour. Uh, or free running. Um, I always feel like I sound really weird when I say parkour. I felt, I felt like got I've gone nice, really yeah. posh.
1: No one really knows how to pronounce it. I think that's like parkour. what it is. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's like croquet. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, what about people who want to get involved? And I, I guess there's actually two questions I have about that. One is how do you get involved? Yeah. And two, obviously it's, um, a very physical, it's a very physical thing. Um, so, you know, what about people who aren't as physically able? Is there is there is there space for them within the parkour community?
1: Yeah, if anything, it's like, I think, uh, so let me answer those questions in order. So first, how to get involved. So I think literally put the word parkour in your city into Google. There will be something, right? It might just be a video. It might be that there's like a really big community that's a bit more unstructured. So you might just find like a Facebook group. Or there might be structured classes and for some people that's the right entry point, right? If you're coming, if say you're a sort of, I'm obviously stereotyping here, but say you're a sort of 40 to 50 year old adult who's done football and badminton, the structure for your entry point to sport is probably going to a class with a trusted qualified coach and that's how you get in. So you might do that, but you also might do something like cycling where actually what you do is you kind of try and work out who the local community groups are so all of those entry points are there in terms of accessibility what you see what you see online it probably still looks like a bit of a teenage boys club right and that's some of the work that we're doing that there's two sides to that number one there is diversity work to do within the community but also it's pretty clear that a lot of those groups uh, that are more diverse they aren't interested in putting media out that's part of it as well, right? So, it, yes, there is definitely a diversity challenge for us to get, but also probably the majority group are amplified by the nature of who they are, yeah. right? So, as a twenty-five-year-old guy with Instagram, you're probably more likely to show all the stuff that you do parkour than if you're a fifty-year-old uh, Asian man, right? So, the accessibility thing's great, and I think in terms of physical accessibility. It, Parkour people almost see that as a great problem to solve and a challenge, right, because it's such a relative sport. So like I was saying, you know, your first the first thing you might do is just to stand up on a wall and get back down. There are classes out there um, and entry points for people where the class is, is like about sitting on the floor and standing up again. And people would see that as parkour within the community because it's your starting point of improving how you learn and move in the environment. And there are de- I've definitely seen progressions of people. There's a great group in Edinburgh that run I think they call it back to movement or, or I can't remember the name of the class and he's a friend of mine. So if he hears this, he's going to chin me for not remembering, <laughs> but access parkour in Edinburgh, I have this class, which is about engaging with physically inactive populations. And essentially they just start with like, can you sit down and stand up? And that slowly turns into, well, can you do it on a wall? Can you jump off? And then suddenly these people become the version of what you see on YouTube, you know? So that accessibility point is there.
0: Definitely. <laughs> That's great. I mean, like I said, I, this is an activity that, you know, is accessible to most people and very much f- uh, fills all those things you can do to look after your well-being. Yeah, That's yeah. And like, thank you so much for kind of just sharing that because, uh, you know, I, I, we've spoken a lot about it in the past, but I think it's the first time I've realised just how, how big that kind of um, impact uh, yeah. for someone's life could be. And also just that ethos behind the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the thing is that the the belief in it is gigantic from the people that are involved. Sometimes to a fault where they think it's the only solution to anything, right? But the belief in it is massive. And I was actually listening to another podcast today about rude, about terrible, about parkour, and with two really well-known guys who were actually talking about how defining it's really difficult, right? Like, you know, having a Wikipedia entry is very hard. But when you watch people in a class, they just feel it. Like And and I think that's what's really great as you're entering into a community that are really absorbed but not exclusive, and you just get sucked in to the culture of it you know and I think that is more important and more beneficial for someone's mental well-being than it is for their physical well-being if they move more great like that's that's good as well and they probably will but you can do parkour at what might be considered a very low level for 50 years if you want and still be in the culture and believe in the idea and that's the lovely bit about it you know
0: oh that is that is brilliant I'm um I really, yeah. Obviously, at the end, you can tell us where we can find more yeah, information and everything. But that's, uh, I feel, I feel inspired. Yeah, you got to come out soon and try. Oh, uh, yeah. Me. You've already got me into cycling. Uh, yeah. I don't know if there's more I can take. Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, actually, before we kind of move on to uh, to some other stuff we were going to discuss, I wanted to just kind of talk about stigma because obviously, yeah. mental health uh, is all about reducing the stigma around mental health so that. Uh, everybody can talk about their mental health, uh, especially men. Um, and actually we kind of met working together yeah. doing anti-stigma work for mental health. And I guess I wanted to ask you like, so I know you know a lot about it and you know, people always hear about us talk about it on the show, but I guess I wanted to see like you and I both could t- name 10 things where stigma is in in the wider scope, but actually where's the perhaps, uh, what are the examples of places where stigma exists that people may not, immediately consider or or what would you or what would you want to say is a a place where we need to consider the stigma around mental health that is maybe overlooked
1: yeah so first of all I'm an optimist right I think 90% 99.999% of stigmatizing stuff that happens is unintentional I think there's there's very very little chance that it's a malicious thing it does happen but generally speaking I think across the board it's about cultural understanding education. I think that's important to say. I don't want to accuse anyone of anything. Um and I think for me, one of the things that I've definitely observed, which I think is in relation to stigma, is the 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 grey area and the, the degree to which people's challenges affect them. And what I mean by that is like everyone has an off day and a coping mechanism that sorts it. And it can be quite hard to delineate between that and someone who maybe is experiencing depression and is in a big hole and can't get out. And I think that's that's a real challenge to educate on, but that's definitely somewhere that I see stigma. And I guess that, you know, the trite stereotypical version of that, Davy, that we would have talked about at work is somebody saying buck up or whatever. But I think there is actually something behind that about if you... It, that thing I said about parkour being the solution for everything. People within parkour, as an example... I'm sure loads of them have challenges with their mental health, but loads of them believe that Parker will just fix it. And some of them are right, but that's that's not for everyone, right? So the stigma for me is about understanding those the relative degrees to which someone is having a challenge is really hard to understand and define. And so that thing about trying to understand people, help them move along, you can get caught up in that solution providing thing that's worked for you or worked for your community. So for me, that's a, it's almost a subtle and an obvious thing at the same time. And that, that actually goes from my own experience that when I well, I struggled last year with anxiety and depression really for the first time in a way that I would sort of almost put a stamp on that as diagnosis is probably the wrong word, as, but as a thing. And none of those things that would bring me joy that I was always like, ah, man, you could just go and do parkour or play your guitar. They just stopped working. And it's very hard to... Understand that experience until you've had it. And this is coming from someone that worked in an anti stigma charity and, and pontificated about these
0: messages all the time. So that was a very long answer, but does that make sense? No, absolutely. <laughs> and do you know, I was just thinking, because I, um, I know you're currently becoming, um, I know you're already a mental health first aid trainer yeah. up here in Scotland. And uh, you're currently in the process of becoming uh, Mental First Aid England uh, as well, because I think we have a very online. Uh, role now when it comes to mental health first aid. And I always think about that. We can help people. One of the steps is helping people find other supports, yeah, which is great. And that's wonderful. And you know, something if I was dealing with someone who's maybe uh, used to be quite a physical person, but now is kind of feeling a little bit down. I'm, I might now suggest, Hey, go check out parkour. Yeah, yeah, The important thing to remember is as well that like, that doesn't mean it's going to fix it and it may not work at all. Yeah. And we have to be really careful when, when we're speaking to people, because we need to recognize that low mood poor mental health and poor everyday non-diagnosed mental health so many of the uh the symptoms that you can spot are the same as a mental illness but it's not for us to say that person is now diagnosed yeah yeah, it's, it's, yeah. and so we need to remember that there's a very careful line between giving advice and being like, oh, you're feeling down, you should go do this, that will sort it.
1: I mean, there is no line, right? That's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And and there can't be a line because it is completely, it's a spectrum, it's all relative, but yeah, you're right. And I think it's not even to say don't give people advice. I mean, obviously, again, you know, the the sort of standard thing to think about is don't jump to advice and listen to people. And, you know, we can talk about that in detail, but I think when you're part of a community, and, and I'm just coming back to the parkour thing, where you think you've got the magic potion, it doesn't mean it's always going to work and that's very hard when you're part of a community with really strong beliefs right because they do see it working yeah right you know and I think that you know that definitely was my experience and looking back now at the classes that we've delivered in the past I can definitely see moments where I probably got that wrong and that's really interesting you know and that's a sort of that's an embedded and subtle stigma you know that's not a it's not a poor attitude in any way it's just a, a misunderstanding of the sort of relativity of these experiences for people and it's a hard one to solve, but I think you can recognise it, and that immediately makes a difference. And so, sort of having an awareness of that, there was a couple of people that used to come to our classes who, you know, quite openly struggled with things like depression. And there was days where they turned up where you just thought, "Man, like you, I'm amazed that you've brought yourself here. You, look, you look pretty wrecked, and that's okay." But I definitely think with the experience I have now, I would probably maybe have approached. I wouldn't have been so cocky about thinking that them being at the class was going to solve it, is maybe a good way to put it. I probably wouldn't have done anything different at the class, but I was going, ah, they'll be fine after the class and they'll just go home and they'll be cool because Parker is going to help. And clearly it helped them because they turned up. But I think, yeah, understanding the, the sort of relativity of those experiences is difficult.
0: And it's like, you know, I mean, it's struggling with mental health. There isn't one solution. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a tapestry absolutely nice a tapestry of uh you know uh things to kind of really help people and i think that's really good and i i always love and we've spoken a lot about this the fact that recognizing that you know stigma is existing everywhere and even in ourselves even those of us who work with it and we, we, we kind of recognize it and go and it's a, it's about being able to go away and be like actually do you know what looking back on that maybe i could have done something different and so it's not about naming and blaming and shaming people. absolutely not um Uh, So I've really loved what you said at the beginning there about how, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily personal. It's just more the culture around it. And I do think it's really important that we, we create an environment where people can feel confident to learn, to, to, to recognize actually maybe there's a, there's a different way to have done it, done this or said that. Um,
1: And I think it's easy. I mean, I definitely saw this in our anti-stigma work because it, it was the focus of every day. Like, it's easy to get caught up in the anger of the fact that people aren't behaving the way that maybe they could, you know, and we can make jokes about the language, please. We could talk about any disc- type of discrimination that, That you know, and I guess the other, that's the other big thing for me that I've really recognised helps is, is language and how subtle language is. And, you know, as a coach, I'm so aware of every word that I choose when I'm teaching. And sometimes people don't realise that when they're being taught that co- good coaches are incredibly careful about the way that they speak. So I, I would tend to say things like easy or challenging rather than difficult or too difficult because there, there's really subtle changes in what you're projecting in the story there. And I think that's something that I definitely learned a lot working you know with you and and, and in that organisation and looking at anti-stigmas, that actually there's obvious poor language, clearly, and there are derogatory things that we should try and make our best efforts not to use. But constantly chinning people for you know saying uh, suffer instead of struggle and not that I'm saying that happen where we worked but those sorts of things you can get caught up in the anger about that and actually you can't expect people to just get that right and you Mm -hmm. also can't expect them to know you know and and I think that's why I'm always caveating with like take a minute to work out if someone's being malicious because when when any of this type of work on discrimination is at the centre of your world it's only the centre of your world and and that is so, so easy to get caught up in being like oh man you shouldn't be saying that or that behavior was terrible and actually like you said, giving people the space to reflect is is more important right
0: yeah and we need and we need to learn from the people who are feeling like they've been treated unfairly because yeah. Yeah, it's about the idea of we well, you're not going to spot something you didn't know was there yeah exactly and, and we're not experts i am I think that's really great. And I think that's a really great, healthy attitude towards language. I know for mental health, we really believe in, you know, we know that language uh, impacts stigma, but we also believe that conversations around mental health are important. And it's so easy, especially when we're looking at uh, some of the male groups that, that, you know, we, we work with, it's so easy to want to become the, you know, the, start policing language and then actually the detriment is it shuts down that conversation and that's yeah. dangerous yeah and i think there's um so it's not about kind of promoting bad language but it's about recognizing that sometimes the conversation is more important to somebody's to saving someone's life
1: yeah the goal is engagement right Yeah, the go and sometimes that means that you might have to sort of compromise or put away some of your own beliefs about something you know and yeah, that's crucial to it. And I think, you know, you'll know as well as I do, like, you know, there's times where you can let stuff slide because it's a great conversation and there's times when actually you think, I'm going to just say to someone, you know. it um, also depends on the relationships you have with the people that Aye. you're spending time with, yeah.
0: So um, obviously it's really great that you are uh, delivering uh, Mental Health Fest aid. Um, I think it's such a great thing So I think it teaches people that you don't have to be an expert. You yeah. just need to be able to listen and then help people get to support they need. Um, and I just wanted to say, like, obviously one of the things that we're really proud of with mentor health is we, we deliver that training to people as well. Yeah. Uh, hopefully one day you'll come join us on a, on a course a hundred percent because it's really important. And we really want to kind of uh, let people know and help people who maybe don't want to spend all that money to do it. Cause it's an expensive yeah. course if you do it corporately. Um, so we're really proud of the fact that we get to deliver that um, at low cost or or sometimes you're free with certain funding, but also we give businesses the chance to, um, you know, if they're going to pay for mental health first aid training, if they come to Mental Health, then they'll be paying a similar fee, but actually their money is going to be paying for spaces for those who can't. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. that We just let people know that our uh, Mentor Health, that's one of the things that we really, really, uh, we really encourage. So do, do get in touch with Mental Health if you want to know more about that. So I'm just going to, um, before we wind things down, I just wanted to say mental health awareness week for 2021 is all about nature yep. and uh, how much that helps with, with, with mental health. Um, what about you? I mean, you've, you've said that you obviously have your dog. So do you get out and about, does that help you getting out and about in nature? Does that then help your mental health? Yeah, hundred percent.
1: Also I would say that I would consider nature outside yeah, I think that people living in a city can use yes. uh, procrastinate about nature and say, "Well, I don't have trees." Yes, I get that the science behind the fact that if you spend time in like deep nature, if you want to call it that, there are obviously sort of hormonal and chemical things that make you feel good and all that. But I think it's the delineation between doing the stuff you normally do and going outside and doing something that connects you with space, right? Did you know that's there's, really um, crucial? I think.
0: Did you know there's a there's a Japanese phrase and i'm hoping i'm remembering the fact right japanese phrase because they obviously like prescribe going out into forests yeah and that and it's called tree bathing oh, I love that. and i think it's a great phrase i'm gonna get i want to work out what that is and then do it for
1: parkour so it's like wall bathing because honestly people will do that like when you go to some of the famous spots like you just want to lie on the space that you've looked at for yeah. years and it's like dirty scabby concrete with like i don't know dog poop and <laughs> b- broken bottles and you know but it's it's this it's a similar experience that's funny yeah yeah i think,
0: I think it's a great phrase and yeah. i'm i've started so when i do get to go out that's how i because one of the things i've done i stopped listening to music when i get to parks or like really nice green right. spaces and that was me trying to be more mindful so like because obviously walking is all i've really had um uh and uh, now like I'll listen to my music to walk to maybe the the green space or whatever space it is I'm heading to. But when I'm in that space, I take out my headphones so that I can then be in the moment a bit yeah. more. And like whenever I now kind of get to some of the bigger parks, I just kind of take the moment and be like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bathe in the trees. Yeah, uh, that's lovely. it's lovely. It does. Praise, it's but. funny.
1: And I think, I, I will openly admit, by the way, just before we go any further, that I fill my ears with sound almost constantly. So what you just described about the trees, I'd like to do that, but for whatever reason, I just immediately want to listen to music. Yeah. And I think, interestingly, over lockdown, because you don't travel, I'm finding it much harder to listen to music, because I like albums. I don't want to listen to a mixtape or one minute. I want to be able to have an hour to take that in. So that's one thing I'm quite guilty of. So I cycle a lot, which I'm sure we're going to come on to, because we've got a really nice connection there, but presuming it's safe, so if I'm on gravel roads or whatever, where I should be probably doing what you just described, Davy, which is taking in the fact that I'm in a forest, I'm really bad for putting on, like, really
0: angry, loud metal. It's just- bloody hard. Like, I, I really... Yeah. It's. It sounds It sounds like it should be easy, and it's really not. Because like, I also worked out for me, uh, especially, you know, walking every day for lockdowns, like I was doing about, like, 70k a week when the weather was better, and, uh, but I'd have my music on the whole time. But for me, it's a lot about like, I want to keep my head down. I'm too anxious to make eye yeah. contact. Um, so it isn't easy uh, by any means, but yeah. since doing it, I have really kind of felt better. Yeah, I get really frustrated because then I can hear like children crying and dogs yeah. barking each other. But, um, but actually that's really important.
1: A hundred percent. I th- I think the nature thing for me is it's a it's a really multi-sensory experience which sounds a bit cheesy but so i used to live in shetland which is like in the middle of nowhere um within 10 minutes of the first time i'd been there i was like oh man this is it like you just you know yes that's a very extreme example because it's an island near norway and it's like big massive cliffs and sea and everything but there's something about that like letting your whole body absorb stuff and it doesn't need to be every sense. So interestingly, even though I'm listening to music, quite often I am I can sit, you know, and I guess everyone does it a different way. But I've been trying to do it a bit more, just that listening with intent thing. You know, that experience of getting to the beach and sitting and putting your hands in the sand and shutting your eyes and hearing and feeling the salt and all that, I think that's all part of it as well, right? But yeah, the, na- the nature thing is really important. I think um, everyone should do that relative to their own access um and i'm gonna segue into it because i definitely want to bring it up one of the really good ways to do that that i've discovered this year is cycling so um when i was off work ill i i think my wife and i had picked up bikes to like go to the shops basically and then i found that i was getting up in the morning and going out and cycling for an hour sort of for exercise but then quite quickly being like oh like you can really go away and during lockdown that especially, but I think there's something in that nature thing about the fact that you sort of go away and it's not escapism necessarily, but you travel, travel, humans are meant to travel. I think we're meant to move and that the act of traveling is a really good thing for the mind, I think, to give you space to think or not think.
0: And I'm but, glad you mentioned this, I because like I really wanted to thank you because um, for those of you listening, I obviously, as I've said before, I was on my own and I was walking every day, but you get really tired of being in the same spaces. Um, and then I think it was my birthday last year, you dropped over like a spare bike you had. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and then when we, when we were allowed to cycle together, you, cause I was petrified of riding <laughs> a bike, you know, we just started going out cycling and actually the further we got, like, you know, heading out to Loch Winnick or whatever, it's just suddenly I'm not in, I'm not in Glasgow. I'm not in that space. And I'm actually in this other space and there's water and it's green Yeah, and that was amazing and like that was truly like one of the biggest helps i had during it so thank you so much for sharing that
1: you're very welcome i mean i think that's the it's a it's a gift and a curse for me that i just impose the things that i like on people right so that was if that was your birthday last year in may i'd only started cycling in march and i was immediately going this has just solved a lot of space that i needed i think also the other bit about it for me is that it's autonomous, right? Like, I remember getting quite far on my bike and then kind of being like, having all that nice stuff for the space, but then also being like, this is my, I didn't get a bus. There's that nice bit of achievement. And then, depending on your mindset, you start chasing the numbers, right? So like, um, one of the other people that I cycle with, yes, Davy, I have other people I cycle <laughs> with, I'm sorry, cycle cheated on you. Um, They all do things like, get nearly home and look and they've done 69.5k and, and they'll be like oh man I need to do the 500 meters and not not in a negative way but you, you can start chasing the numbers so then you also start getting some of those five ways to well-being around the physical stuff can, if you want it to it yeah. can creep in so
0: because I've gotten yeah. really fixated with the fact that the last cycle we did with the first weekend where we could get out um, I think I came in at I think it was just under it was like fifty nine point eight or something was actually what we cycled. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I would cycled it as I was we know. See, you walked something. <laughs> I was completely. My legs were completely dead. It was yeah, quite yeah. funny. Uh, but yeah, like I, I want to be like. So my goal now is like, no, I need to get over that sixty. My other goal is to, uh, you know, make it most of the way back before I start being in uh, absolute like jelly leg drama.
1: Yeah, but I mean, so yeah for for context for anyone listening that was the week that the boundary rule got dropped yeah. right so we'd been kind of dying to go out to Loch because the problem in glasgow is glasgow's in a valley right so if you want to stay in glasgow any direction you go in it's hilly now i like that because i was really using the cycling thing for physical challenge as well but like to get a few people together presuming you're allowed to just have like a leisurely chat and a cycle glasgow if you want to go any distance is a of a pain so we'd been dying for this old cycle path that's pretty much flat right out of glasgow right down to the beautiful loch but you hadn't cycled for a couple of months really right so that was like 60k out of nowhere there was four of us we were probably all quite quick yeah not intentionally leaving you in the smoke oh no no uh, yeah and and i think the thing with cycling is that you it doesn't feel hard quickly so you you kind of have this gauge of like i am fine and then, for some people, just all of a sudden, you go, oh, "No, I'm not." Right. <laughs> that was the
0: thing. So I think there've been loads of bits on <laughs> the way there where I've been like super cocky because you've been cocky, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, since so yeah. I start being cocky um, and like speeding past everyone. And then I was just like on the way back, being like, "Oh, oh, oh, this is we're a long way from home." Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Although I guess at least you know it's, it's on a good train. But it's about do, building up as well, and it, it yeah, also yeah. made me realise. You know, you were speaking earlier on about. um, you know, it's harder to kind of get the walking in and like all I've done for the last year and a half is go walking. But actually the last four months, um, although I've not found lockdown uh, was effectively two for us in Glasgow, but three for everyone else. Um, Although I found it hard, I haven't found it too hard, but I did stop walking. Like my 70 K has definitely gone down to about Uh, 30 K and I wasn't, and I wasn't going to the gym and I wasn't doing leg stuff. And like, you know, I've got huge trunks, muscle legs, And um, I think it was just a thing I was like, yeah, I can do, I can do this. But actually I hadn't been doing enough stuff, uh, activity for myself. So again, it's created more goals though, which is really important. And
1: it comes back quickly. It always comes back quickly the second time. So we, my wife and I were back at CrossFit on Monday there. Um, We used to go, what, seven sessions a week. So I'd say we were fairly, fairly in the cult of CrossFit. (laughs) Um, And going back on Monday, even really making an effort to sort of back and not train too much. It, it, I was sore for days, and but then within a week or two, we'll probably be back to sort of not the same degree of fitness necessarily, but your body adapts. Like if we went out and did the sixty k again, already it would start to feel a bit different.
0: Because, oh yeah, I already yeah. know. I could and also,
1: you might pace yourself a little bit better as well. And I'm gonna
0: <laughs> get a better bike. It's all good. <laughs> blame the bike. Uh, the bike, which is amazing. The bike. I feel blame always really bike. bad blaming because it was an amazing. It was an amazing gift. Yeah. Well, not look. Told um chris thank you so much for your time today no um it, it's been it's been great strange shang in a more formal way when obviously yeah yeah, yeah. We, we we work together and we, we cycle together um but um I, I guess what would be really great to know is if people want to know more about parkour parkour uk or just stuff you're doing where can they find information so um parkour.uk is, is the parker
1: uk website which is great i love that it's like absolutely minimal it's just what it says in the tin good web address that's
0: great that's exactly how mental health is it's mental health.uk yeah it's great love it
1: none of this none of this code company yeah, yeah. nonsense. Yep, it's good so if you go to parker.uk you can have a look at what we do as a national governing body um and there's like a map and a finder for classes and stuff as well or just put it into google with your city like i said um if anyone's interested in some of the other work that i do um I've got chrisgrantgla.com, um, so if I'm delivering mental health first aid or doing some parkour projects that are not part of my main job or any other f- random freelance nonsense, which I pick up a few times a year, um, that's all on there. There's some there's some nice little success stories on there, which are not really about me either, they're about some of the cool people that we've worked with in Jamaica and stuff.
0: So That's really cool. Check it out. Well, look, thank you so much. Hopefully, hopefully uh, we can have you back one day and hear how you're going yeah. on and... I'm uh, really excited to see, you know, how... I, I really want everyone to now to start looking out for parkour and just kind well, of... Well, I think there
1: needs to be a follow-up episode of Davey's first experience of doing parkour.
0: I used to do gymnastics. Like It'd be good. It'd be good. I, I, I love it. But now I'm just kind of old and incredibly chubby. Yeah, but, different. you know, the gyms are open again now. So maybe I'll get back to a bit more uh, flexibility. Absolutely. Well,
1: thank you very, very much. Appreciate coming on It's always nice to have a bit of a platform to talk about the things that you love. So
0: that's great. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to follow us online. You can find us on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at Mentalk UK. And our website, which has information on our mental health awareness training courses, our upcoming events, and info on how to get involved with mental Health, can be found at www.mentalkhealth.uk. If you have been affected by any of the conversations today, then please make sure you speak to someone. Mentalk Health isn't able to offer support directly, but we do have a list of resources on our website to help you find the most appropriate support for you. And again, that website is www.mentalkhealth.uk. If it's an emergency, then please remember you can always phone Samaritans on 116 123, or if you really need to, or if you're very worried about someone, you can call 999. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, most importantly, keep talking.